Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Disinformation Governance Board pauses its activities just three weeks after being created. The Department of Homeland Security says it's conducting a review of how it can deal with disinformation most effectively. Gas prices are inching up to a national average of close to $5 a gallon. The latest numbers today reveal that Americans in every state are paying at least $4 a gallon and there's no indication those prices will drop. How's Congress responding? We have the details. Trump-endorsed candidate Madison Cawthorn lost the chance to hold on to his House seat in yesterday's primary election, but an expert says it's not Donald Trump's fault. Educators in the Philadelphia School District were encouraged to attend what was promoted as Trans Wellness Conference. Newly surfaced clips expose the explicit concept. Content teachers were encouraged to learn. A schizophrenic man who was said he was hearing voices was placed in a nursing home after being diagnosed with COVID. While there, he recorded himself beating his elderly roommate. The Department of Homeland Security is pausing the activities of the newly created Disinformation Governance Board. Employees within the department say that the board's executive director has submitted a letter of resignation. Here are the details. The Department of Homeland Security told NTD in an email that it will conduct a thorough review of how the department can address disinformation while protecting free speech and increasing trust with the public. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has asked for the final recommendations within 75 days. The DHS says during this time, the Disinformation Governance Board will not convene and its work will be paused. The board's executive director, Nina Jankowitz, said through a spokesperson on Wednesday, quote, With the board's work paused and its future uncertain, I have decided to leave DHS to return to my work in the public sphere. I maintain my commitment to building awareness of disinformation's threats and trust the department will do the same. The White House said Wednesday that it did not play any role in the decision. The board has never convened. Uh, it, uh, so that's, it, it never convened and, it, and the board is, uh, is yes, the board is, uh, is, is pausing in the sense that it will not convene while former Secretary Chertoff and former Deputy AG Gorlick uh, do their assessment. The DHS created the disinformation board in late April, but faced immediate backlash. Many voiced concerns that the board would determine what is true or false and censor free speech online. In the email to NTD, the DHS wrote, The board has been grossly and intentionally mischaracterized. It was never about censorship or policing speech in any manner. It was designed to ensure we fulfill our mission to protect the homeland while protecting core constitutional rights. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Gas prices have hit new records multiple days in a row. And now for the first time, the average cost is over $4 in every state. So congressional Republicans are renewing calls to ramp up domestic production. But Democrats have another plan in mind. NTD's Melina Weiskup brings us more. No matter where you live in America, you're not likely to see signs listing gas for any less than $4. The national average today ticking up to $4.57 per gallon. Gas prices have spiked by 50 cents over the past month. The White House today messaging that this hike is out of their hands. What we're doing, whether it's the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve, whether it's the Ethanol 15, to make sure that, uh, that, uh, that the American people are not feeling Putin's uh, price hike. This is where this is coming from, 60 to 70 percent. But Republicans say the timeline tells a different story. Senator Cruz, tracing it back to January of 2021, presents this chart showing a gradual increase leading up to the spike in February when the Russian invasion started. And with the midterms around the corner, Republicans are latching on to this pocketbook issue. Because the price of diesel is up, that means every single product that we buy that's transported on a diesel truck all just went up in price. We know that supply matters and domestic supply matters. Just last week, the Biden administration canceled three oil and gas lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico and off the coast of Alaska, removing millions of acres from possible drilling. And Senator Cruz today is accusing the Biden administration of deliberately trying to hike prices. Because if it's so hard, you'll suddenly wake up and say, I need to buy me a $100,000 electric car. 
with a battery made in China. But the White House has pointed fingers at the oil and gas companies, accusing them of price gouging. Now the House this week is working to push through a bill that would allow the federal government to crack down on companies that are accused of price gouging. But it's unclear if it would pass because some Democrats are not on board. We have not seen any other proposals from congressional leadership to tackle these high gas prices. Now, we know Republicans have repeatedly called on the Biden administration to encourage more domestic energy production. They want the administration to fast track those offshore oil and gas leases um, to ramp up the domestic energy production. But with congressional Democrats in control of Congress and the White House right now, it's highly unlikely that those Republican proposals will move forward anytime soon. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Five states held primary elections Tuesday, and most of the candidates endorsed by Donald Trump won. But an expert says Madison Cawthorn's loss had nothing to do with Trump's endorsement. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Primary Election expert Noah Weinrich uh, said Donald Trump made the crucial difference in most of the North Carolina races. Right, so that is a testament to how powerful the Trump endorsement can be. Except for Madison Cawthorn. Weinrich says you can't blame that loss on Trump. It wasn't about the fact that he was, you know, very conservative or endorsed by Trump. Um, you know, I think the voters wanted someone like Cawthorn uh, politically. They wanted someone who was endorsed by President Trump, but they didn't want someone who carried some of uh, what a lot of people perceive as personal baggage. The Oregon and Pennsylvania primaries were marred by mail-in ballot problems that have delayed results in close races. But in Pennsylvania, the counts for GOP Senate candidates Dr. Mehmet Oz and David McCormick are close enough to trigger the recount law. Weinrich says either candidate will have a tough race with Democrat winner John Fetterman. This is a race that was lost narrowly in 2020 uh, by Republicans, and uh, John Fetterman appears to be a formidable candidate. You know, he is, he is very far left, but he has deep ties to Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he comes from a, uh, a working class area, which could play well with voters in the middle. So either one of them, McCormick or Oz, is going to have a tough uphill battle. He thinks Pennsylvania is a tough state overall for Republicans, but said the GOP would become the majority party again in Congress. Voters are incredibly dissatisfied with inflation, with the state of the economy. The stock market has been crashing. Um, there are supply chain shortages. There is a, a terrible formula shortage. Uh, folks are very unhappy with the direction of the country. They're very unhappy with President Biden. Um, he's 12 points underwater in the polls. Um, and a lot of that is going to reflect in the House race. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Sexually explicit clips are surfacing of a conference that educators in the school district of Philadelphia were encouraged to attend last year. The event was called the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference, and the school district promoted it as a way for teachers and staff to learn more about the issues facing the trans community. And a warning, the following images and language are explicit and might be offensive to some viewers. Christopher Rufo first reported on the story and obtained clips of the online event. The school district of Philadelphia told him their educators were encouraged to attend in order to create equitable and inclusive environments. However, the classes didn't talk about how to make life easier for kids, but focused mostly on things like sex kinks, sex toys, and how to engage in sexual acts with trans people. Here you can see one of the hosts. That, it's a big boy. This is, like, gigantic, all right? Give me, give me two hours alone and I'll get this in my butt, you know? <laughs> Some hosts directly promoted the toys to minors, telling educators there's no age limit. One of the speakers was a doctor who's focused on gender transitioning. He reportedly talked about performing thousands of transitioning surgeries. In this clip, he talks about the ages of his clients. Um, I do not have a minimum age of any sort in my practice. There's no chronological age that says you don't get surgery. Now, having said that, I don't think I've ever done a consult on a 12-year-old yet, but we would if one came our way. We just haven't had reason to. Two other hosts, who identify as trans, showcased how to engage in role-play activities. I haven't gotten to explore a lot of my, my mommy kink, and I think for tonight, I'm really wanting to feel cared for, but also get punished a little bit. 
Rufo reported that the event was organized by the Mazzoni Center. The center reportedly received $5 million from the government last year and holds this training across the Philadelphia area. NTD reached out to Philadelphia's school district and the Mazzoni Center to ask how these classes benefit educators and school kids. Neither one got back to us before broadcast. A schizophrenic man will not go to jail after severely beating an elderly roommate at the Westwood Nursing Center in Detroit. But the victim's family is suing the nursing home. Please note, this story also contains images that some viewers may find disturbing. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. In May 2020, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer got rid of requirements that nursing homes put recovering COVID patients in special units. Around the same time, Jaden Hayden, a mentally ill patient at the University of Michigan Hospital, was diagnosed with COVID and sent to the Westwood Nursing Center in Detroit for recovery. While there, he recorded himself beating up his elderly roommate, Norman Bledsoe. He ended up with multiple charges, including assault. But a psychiatrist said he was incompetent, so the court dropped the charges. Jaden's father, Marty Hayden, told 7 Action News his son was in crisis mode. Common sense would tell him that, you know, this young man is in crisis. Why should you put him in a nursing home around elderly people? Before going to the hospital, Jaden had called his father and said he was hearing voices and thought people were out to kill him. He then called 911 himself. Bledsoe died two months later in another nursing home. His family filed a lawsuit against Westwood Nursing Center. Jaden is currently confined to a psychiatric hospital in Kalamazoo. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. A federal judge is expected to decide the fate of a pandemic-era immigration policy this week. During the pandemic, U.S. authorities used a health law called Title 42 to quickly expel illegal immigrants to Mexico. But the CDC says it's no longer needed for health reasons. It wants to end it next week. But that could lead to a surge in illegal crossings. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Arizona Border Patrol officers say illegal border crossings are way up in their sector. This fiscal year alone, they've apprehended or encountered over 130,000 people who crossed illegally. So that's up more than 50% compared to last year. Here near the Arizona border, a pilot has called ground agents for backup to apprehend a group of 30 people. Some Republican politicians are worried more people will want to cross if Title 42 is repealed next week. But one border official is clear. If Title 42 goes away, um, the border is not going to be open. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas met with Border Patrol agents in Texas Tuesday. He says they're boosting resources to the border, preparing for an increase in illegal crossings. We recognize that with the end of Title 42, there very well may be an increased surge in migration, and we have to equip them with the resources and capabilities to address that increase as well. Republican-led states have requested to keep Title 42 in place. A federal judge is expected to rule on it this week. Border Patrol agents arrested over 200,000 illegal immigrants at the southwestern border in April. That's down slightly from March, but still near historical highs, according to government data. Meanwhile, there's a new piece to the immigration puzzle. U.S. Border Patrol has started to use a special parole exception to allow tens of thousands of illegal immigrants to stay in the United States for at least a year. That's according to Epic Times reporter Charlotte Cuthbertson. It allows overwhelmed Border Patrol stations to process illegal aliens much faster. In the past, it was rarely used, but now it's being used on a mass scale. Under the new parole category, this fiscal year, CBP has mass-released more than 120,000 illegal aliens. They're given a trackable cell phone or sometimes an ankle bracelet to check in with the agency on a regular basis. If they don't report within a year, they can be removed. Retired immigration judge Andrew Arthur told the Epoch Times that parole should be used sparingly. He said mass use of it could increase the risk of releasing dangerous people into the U.S. He said vetting is only as good as the intel, and the intel isn't that good. We reached out to DHS for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. 
The Biden administration is easing restrictions on Cuban travel and remittances. This will allow thousands more Cubans to emigrate to the United States, and Cubans already in the U.S. will be able to send more money back home. Here are the details. The White House announced Monday it is taking the following steps to make it easier for families to visit their relatives in Cuba and for Cubans to reunify with their relatives in the U.S. One, they are reinstating the Cuban Family Reunification Parole Program and further increasing consular services and visa processing in Cuba. This will allow a minimum of 20,000 Cubans, not including immediate relatives of U.S. citizens, to immigrate to the U.S. Two, they are expanding authorized commercial and charter flights to locations beyond Havana. Three, support to independent Cuban entrepreneurs will be increased with internet access and other technologies. Four, the administration is removing the family remittance cap of $1,000 per quarter. These are the biggest changes in U.S. policy toward Cuba since President Biden took office. Residents in Havana react to the news. It will make life better both for Cubans there and for Cubans here. I hope relations improve. Hopefully, let's be optimistic. Almost all Cubans have family in the United States, and this means a lot for Cubans. The chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Democratic Congressman Gregory Meeks, applauds the policy changes. He calls them a significant step towards returning to the important bilateral relationship. But not all Democrats agree. Chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Menendez, says the announcement risks sending the wrong message to the wrong people at the wrong time and all for the wrong reasons. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, also criticized the policy changes. He tweeted, money from tourism will go into the pockets of the Cuban regime and will help fortify the government against those seeking freedom in Cuba. An international coalition of aviation and medical professionals is calling for an end to vaccine mandates for pilots. They say the mandates have compromised aviation safety due to vaccine injuries among flight crew. In a statement published on Tuesday, the coalition said, quote, pilot advocacy groups, scientists and doctors are hearing daily from vaccine injured airline pilots. These harms include cardiovascular issues, blood clots, neurological and auditory issues, to name just a few. The coalition says many pilots are forced to take the COVID-19 vaccine to keep their jobs, but when they report their injuries, they lose their licensing, incomes and career and that they're receiving little to no support from their unions. The group lists 20 airlines in six countries that have pilots suffering from vaccine injuries. They include Delta Airlines, United Airlines, and American Airlines. The coalition says it represents over 30 airlines, thousands of pilots, and over 17,000 physicians and medical scientists. And up next, a New York court issued a new draft map for congressional districts. And today's Arian Pazdar tells us why it could make for heated battles between longtime Democrat allies. And Allianz will pay over $6 billion in its criminal securities fraud case and one of the largest white-collar crimes in U.S. history. That and more when we return on NTD News. When you look at TV networks in America, a soundbite and bited out culture prevails on news and commentary programs. As a Canadian, I'm fascinated with America, and I wanted to offer American thought leaders an opportunity to share their thoughts in a deep dive format where we can explore their ideas together. And so American Thought Leaders was born. The world's most brilliant thinkers believed that open discourse was the key to greatness. However, all around the world, we see that discourse is being stifled and political agendas have subverted media. The Epoch Times launched its Global Thought Leaders program to bring back this great tradition of free thought. As the host of American Thought Leaders, every week I interview some of the most intriguing minds on the most pressing issues of our time. Be sure to check out our new episodes every week. Courts have released a draft map of redrawn congressional districts in the state. The new map will force longtime Democrat allies to run against each other in the midterms. And TD's Arian Pazdar has more from New York City. 
the initial map was approved in January, it would have given Democrats an advantage in 22 of the 26 congressional districts. It was ruled unconstitutional last month. Assemblyman and candidate for Putnam County Executive Kevin Byrne says the initial legislative map wasn't really fair. The legislative maps, I believe, gave the Democrats uh, definitely a, a better edge um, in the, into the uh, general election. Uh, this makes them possibly lose another seat just based on registration alone. What it also does is it pits Democrats against Democrats. The special master, Jonathan uh, Carvis, actually put uh, some of the Democrats in the same district. One good example is Manhattan, where the Upper East Side and Upper West Side will morph into one, becoming the 12th district. The 12th district is represented by Carolyn Maloney, but now it would include parts of the former 10th district. The 10th district is represented by her longtime ally, Jerry Nadler. Nadler announced he's now running for the 12th, a move Maloney calls disrespectful, saying he's running in her district. That's according to the New York Post. And former New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio might try to take over Nadler's vacant spot. Nadler will leave behind the 10th district, which the Post reports is being eyed by de Blasio. So the map seems to make things harder for Democrats, with one of them saying it shouldn't have been drawn without the legislature, because it goes against the will of the voters. Some Democrats say the new map would dilute the black population, with one congressman even saying it's unconstitutional. The map could be approved by this Friday. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Allianz, one of the world's biggest asset managers, has pleaded guilty to criminal securities fraud and will have to pay over $6 billion. They're accused of lying to investors, which led to billions in losses when COVID hit. NTD's Fake Quarter has more. International financial services provider Allianz, headquartered in Germany, has agreed to pay over $6 billion for its criminal securities fraud over in America. Its U.S. asset management unit, called Structured Alpha, pleaded guilty to criminal securities fraud. In other words, lying to investors, which included pension funds for teachers, clergy, bus drivers, engineers, and others. Structured Alpha funds used to manage over $11 billion in assets, but lost over $7 billion when COVID-19 broke out, partially due to the lies. Prosecutors said the lies included fake documents, fake risk reports, altered spreadsheets, and lies about its investment strategy. A classic case of failure of internal controls at the company. When dealing with sophisticated financial products, regulators don't have the opportunity, the resources, or the capability to check everything that is going on. John Joy is a managing attorney at FTI Law, which focuses on financial crime. Joy says this type of fraud is uncommon. It appears to have been a highly sophisticated operation that will go down in history as one of the landmark white-collar crime cases. Prosecutors say Greg Tornant was the primary architect of the fraud. They say Tornant misled investors into believing the fund was immune to market crashes because of hedges. But as the hedges became expensive, they say Tornant secret bought cheaper hedges instead. Regulators also allege Tornant altered over 75 risk reports that were sent to investors. In one instance, a projected loss from a market crash scenario was changed from 42.15% to 4.15%. Allianz is one of the biggest asset managers in the world. It operates in over 70 countries and serves 126 million customers. Bay Quarter, NTD News. McDonald's and Wendy's are being sued for allegedly misleading consumers about the size of their burger patties. Plaintiffs claim that burger ads for both of the fast food restaurants misled customers about the size of many of the burgers on their menus. The class action lawsuit alleges that McDonald's and Wendy's ads make their burgers appear 15 to 20 percent larger than the ones they serve. The burgers under scrutiny include McDonald's flagship Big Mac and Wendy's Baconator and other items on both restaurants' menus. The plaintiffs are asking for monetary damages and injunctive relief. The 35-page complaint comes 50 days after similar claims were made against Burger King. And supply problems are continuing to hurt major retailers. Target's stock plunged today after reporting its first quarter earnings it had its worst day since Black Monday in 1987. Target CEO says its high costs are affecting its bottom line. NTD's Phil Zoe has more. 
Target stores like this one behind me right here in Manhattan is down over $1 billion in net profit compared to the same time last year. His CEO says one reason is because of unusual high costs. I spoke to Jenny, a parent who's been shopping at Target for years. I'm buying like food stuff for my daughter. She says prices have been changing. It's getting higher, I believe. Even though profits are down because of high costs, which gets passed down to customers, Target's revenue actually went up. Sometimes I just like shopping in Target. But it still fell short of expectations on Wall Street during its first quarter earnings. Its CEO says they made less money than expected. Target shares fell over 25% this morning on the news. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. If it isn't inflation or gas prices, then it's food prices. A division of the U.S. Department of Agriculture released numbers for food prices last month, and it confirms what many people have felt already. Things are getting more expensive. Our reporters went out and talked to some shoppers in Los Angeles to hear what they're doing about it. Food prices are up, and shoppers are feeling it. Residents in the Los Angeles city of Walnut talked about the price increase and how they're changing their behavior around it. We're just kind of uh, eating different types of things. So instead of having more beef, you're having more chicken, things like that. We used to just go just to the grocery store and get everything. But now, because of the things are so expensive, I'm coming here to the farmer's market because produce is very inexpensive at this place here. According to the USDA, at-home food prices are expected to increase by 5 to 6 percent in 2022. Oh, the prices are ridiculous. Yes. You can't fill your baskets anymore. They're just, the prices are just too much. Welch said she is growing her own vegetables and fruits in her backyard to save money. I purchased quite a few plants. I'm going to be doing that myself now. And I've never done it before, but I'm going to go in my yard and I'm going to start planting. Hopefully he can help us and we can afford to buy food and eat like we like to eat. Others say the prices are frustrating to see. So it's very, very frustrating because a lot of those people that make the rules don't, don't have an idea of what the regular people are doing. They have a, a different perspective and they all kind of hang out with each other. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the price of farm products, meats and cooking oils have already increased. The price of candies, cacao and non-alcoholic beverages are also expected to increase this year. The demand for homes seems to be cooling off. Fewer Americans are taking out new loans to buy, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. Mortgage rates are rising fast. The 30-year mortgage rate hit 5.3% last week, the highest since July 2009. But some things could keep prices high. Builders are not applying for as many construction permits as before. In fact, it reached a five-month low. That could reduce the number of homes on the market. Builders may already have too much on their hands. The backlog of projects is now at the highest level since 1999. Supply chain problems have held back building. Builder sentiment is dropping. They blame it on soaring prices for building materials. Coming up, the suspect who opened fire at a church luncheon in California could face the death penalty. A local judge ordered that no parole should be granted. And the three-time champion Gold State Warriors are back in the conference finals. NTD's Dave Martin breaks down what they'll need to do to win. That and more coming up. The man accused of shooting at a California church banquet is facing murder charges. The district attorney says a death sentence might be on the table. David Cho, the suspect in the California church shooting, has been charged with first-degree murder, five counts of attempted murder, and the use of a destructive device. Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer said Tuesday he did not rule out the possibility of a death penalty. The lying in wait with the personal use of a firearm makes this case alone without more, life without the possibility of parole, assuming we can prove all the charges and that the jury finds that the enhancements are true or death. Police said Cho drove 300 miles from Las Vegas to Southern California last weekend, carrying two semi-automatic weapons and four incendiary devices. 
He allegedly opened fire Sunday at a Taiwanese church luncheon in Laguna Woods, killing one local doctor and injuring five others. Dr. Chang was my husband's primary care doctor. He's seen me, he's seen um, my mother-in-law, he's seen our kids. Um, and I just felt it was important to pay respects um, to him and to the folks in his practice who are grieving today. This case is about a person concealing themselves in plain view through the fact that they made everybody so comfortable because they had led everybody to believe they, they were just there to celebrate the life of Jesus and the pastor coming back from Taiwan. Authorities said Cho is a U.S. citizen who grew up in Taiwan. But notes found in his car indicate his hatred of the Taiwanese, fueled especially by tensions between Taipei and Beijing. A local court ordered Cho to be held without bail Tuesday when he attended remotely from the Orange County Central Jail. Judge Cynthia Herrera decided to postpone Cho's arraignment until June. A federal hate crime investigation is also underway. The Orange County Sheriff says the Laguna Woods Church shooting was politically motivated. New evidence, which appears to support that claim, is turning up. The suspect, 68-year-old David Cho of Las Vegas, is originally from Taiwan. Online photos show that he's had close ties to the China Council for the Promotion of Peaceful National Reunification. This is an organization under the Chinese Communist Party's United Front Work Department, which is in charge of foreign influence operations. In 2019, the China Council established a Las Vegas chapter with Chow as one of the directors. A photo shows Chow presenting a banner calling for the eradication of pro-independence demons, which refers to supporters of Taiwan independence. Chow has been charged with one felony count of murder and five felony counts of attempted murder. The FBI announced charges against the ex-head of a Southern California city's Chamber of Commerce. The announcement comes one day after the FBI began an investigation of the same city's mayor on corruption charges. The bureau said a cabal was controlling the city. The former president and CEO of the Anaheim Chamber of Commerce was charged with making false statements to a financial institution. 57-year-old Todd Ament was scheduled to appear in a Santa Ana federal court on Tuesday. He allegedly lied to a mortgage lender about his assets when he tried to secure a home loan in late 2020. The loan was for the purchase of a $1.5 million home in Southern California's San Bernardino Mountains. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, a 99-page criminal complaint along with an affidavit was filed against Ament. The affidavit outlined how Ament, with the help of a political consultant friend, laundered more than $200,000 of Chambers' proceeds. Ament and the unnamed consultant additionally led a small group of Anaheim public officials, consultants, and business leaders to exert influence over city government operations. According to court filings, Ament described the group as a cabal. On Monday, the FBI also announced it was investigating the mayor of Anaheim, Harry Sidhu, for corruption charges. According to FBI agent Brian Adkins in an affidavit, the FBI learned that the city of Anaheim was tightly controlled by a small cadre of individuals to include Sidhu, a particular member of the Anaheim Chamber of Commerce, and others. The FBI did not explicitly name Sidhu and Ament together. Ament could face a sentence up to 30 years in federal prison. Are there too many Canada geese in California? One city says Canada goose op overpopulation is destroying the landscape and wants to do something about it. But conservationists tell another story, saying the measures are too extreme. NTD's David Lamb reports. The Canada geese is a common wild bird found in California, and so are their droppings. Some officials in the Bay Area's foster cities say it's been a problem. The city issued a statement saying these migratory birds have been taking permanent residence in and around the city due to favorable conditions. They stated, Lagoon water quality testing regularly shows high E. coli levels partly attributed to goose droppings among other factors that have resulted in mandatory beach closures. The number of birds living in Foster City have doubled from 181 in 2020 to 323 in 2021. Some residents at a nearby park told us the geese are part of nature. I don't mind. It's never like a bother me. Okay, you just need to watch your step and that's it. I know it's, there is a season just, uh, yeah, um, I saw it like some periods of time. It's a lot, but it's okay. Like uh, if they can just clean the beach uh, maybe once a month, that will be enough, I guess. 
The geese are good. It's good to see them. The kids love to see and play with them and like chase them and play play around with them. But sometimes it's annoying when there's a lot of geese poop like whenever we want to play in the grassland or the sand. It's like the geese poop is like really annoying like uh, sometimes my younger kid like tries to put things in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I have to keep an eye on him. That is really bad. A variety of non-lethal deterrents such as fogging, birth control, dog hazing, strobe lights, fencing and other approaches have been explored and or attempted. But despite all that, the geese refuse to leave. As a last resort, the city has moved to exterminate the animals. Geese feel joy, just like us! An animal rights group held a protest on Tuesday. This is a complete waste of money. It doesn't work rounding up geese. Um, you have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars year after year. A spokesperson with Foster City told NTD that there's not a definite timeline on when the city will move forward with its plans, but they've already received one federal permit and pending another one. David Lamb, NTD News, California. And now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The U.S. Soccer Federation announced they've made agreements to pay the men's and women's U.S. national teams equally through December of 2028. The Federation negotiated separate collective bargaining agreements with unions for both teams, ending what had become tense negotiations. The legal battle started in 2016 when five American female players filed a complaint with the Federal Equal Employment Commission. Three years later, the players filed a lawsuit which this agreement settles. Perhaps the biggest sticking point was the World Cup prize money. The Federation previously based players' bonus money depending on the amount of payments received from FIFA, which paid the men's teams much more. FIFA earmarked $400 million for the countries who qualified for the Men's World Cup in 2018, with those advancing the farthest receiving the most. The U.S. men's team, though, didn't qualify. On the women's side, just $30 million was paid in total. $4 million went to the American women who won the World Cup. The new agreement, though, will pool the total amount paid from the men's and women's World Cups and divide it equally among the players. According to TotalSportal.com, FIFA reported revenue of nearly $8 billion from 2019 to 2022, with $3.5 billion of that coming from TV rights. The governing body sells those rights for both the men's and women's tournaments as a bundle instead of separately. In the NBA, Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals starts tonight with Golden State hosting surprising Dallas. The Warriors, with their core back from a team that won three NBA titles, beat the Nuggets in five and the Grizzlies in six to advance to this round. This is the farthest a team has advanced since 2019 when they won their fifth straight conference championship but lost in the finals to Toronto. The series set the franchise back though as two Golden State players suffered devastating injuries as Kevin Durant tore his Achilles and Klay Thompson his ACL. Meanwhile, Dallas has defied the odds by beating Utah in the first round despite missing Luka Doncic for the first two games with an injury. They then stunned the top-seeded Suns by winning Game 7 in Phoenix in decisive fashion. This series, though, could turn into a high-scoring affair. Outside of Gary Payton II, who's still out with a broken elbow, there are no obvious choices to slow Doncic. On the other side, Dallas looks to have the same problem in defending Thompson, Steph Curry, and the improving Jordan Poole. And on the ice tonight, a pair of Game 1s are on the schedule as Round 2 continues. Carolina hosts New York as the Hurricanes are in the second round for the third time in four seasons. For the Rangers, though, this is the farthest they've advanced since 2017. In the nightcap, the Battle of Alberta resumes for the first time since 1991 as Calgary hosts Edmonton. This is the sixth time these two franchises have met in the postseason, though Calgary lost four of the previous five meetings. That's all for sports today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, casino mogul Steve Wynn accused of lobbying then-President Trump on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. He apparently wanted a Chinese dissident sent back to China. And 100,000 people have gone missing in Mexico since 1964. Most of these disappearances are attributed to organized crime. Find out more after this short break.
Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Department of Justice is suing casino mogul Steve Wynn to compel him to register as a foreign agent for China. The DOJ says Wynn was helping Beijing in 2017 to expel a Chinese asylum seeker in the U.S. NTD's Don Ma has the details. The DOJ says Wynn had made repeated requests on behalf of Beijing to then-President Donald Trump to deport a Chinese businessman. The businessman is not named in the suit, but he matches the description of Guowen Gui, a billionaire real estate magnate and an outspoken critic of Beijing. Mark Ruskin is a 27-year FBI veteran and author of The Pretender, My Life Undercover for the FBI. You know, if an individual is acting as a foreign agent for a foreign entity, I mean, and the entity can be in, in various different forms, and is concealing the relationship, then you know, then it, it can be a, a serious issue. The Justice Department is pursuing a civil lawsuit against Wynn under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, or FARA. How would registering as a foreign agent of China impact Wynn? It may impact his uh, negotiating position. It may impact his uh, relationships internationally with other countries where he may have financial relationships or ongoing business interests where there is a uh, a uh, more adversarial relationship, perhaps, with China, and it may impact in, in, those, in those relationships. The DOJ says the reason Wynn was helping Beijing is because he had business interests in China. His Wynn Resorts operates a luxury hotel and casino in Macau. Wynn denies any wrongdoing in the matter. His attorney says he was merely a loyal messenger of information he received to our government. But Ruskin says relaying information could be a violation of FARA. You know, relaying information, depending on the, uh, what's going on in the background, could arguably be a violation of FARA if it's being done on, on behalf of the foreign entity and if there's some, uh, particularly if there's some consideration involved, if there's some benefit to the individual doing the relaying. Ruskin suggests the DOJ may not have enough evidence on when to pursue a criminal action lawsuit. But it's fair to assume the DOJ is confident about succeeding in a civil suit, which Ruskin says would achieve essentially the same goal. Don Ma, NTD News. Investigators of the China Eastern Airlines crash are looking at whether it was due to intentional action by someone on the flight deck. There's no evidence so far of a technical malfunction. On Tuesday, a Wall Street Journal report cited U.S. officials who said flight data from one of the plane's black boxes showed someone in the cockpit intentionally crashed the plane. The incident was mainland China's deadliest air disaster in decades, killing all 123 passengers and nine crew members on board. Jetmaker Boeing, the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board and the Chinese embassy in Washington declined to comment. NTSB investigators traveled to China to assist with the probe and help review black box data at a U.S. lab in Washington. The Boeing 737-800 was on a short flight in southern China before it took rapid descent and crashed in a mountain range in the province of Guangxi. Authorities have said the pilots did not respond to repeated calls from air traffic controllers and nearby planes during the plunge. China Eastern could not immediately be reached for comment on Tuesday, but the Wall Street Journal reported that the airline said in a statement that no evidence emerged that could determine whether or not there were any problems with the aircraft. In a summary of its preliminary crash report in April, Chinese regulators did not point to any technical recommendations on the 737-800, which has been in service since 1997 with a strong safety record, according to experts. On Wednesday morning, screenshots of the Wall Street Journal story appeared to be censored on China's Twitter-like platform Weibo and messaging app WeChat. The hashtag topics China Eastern and China Eastern Black Boxes were banned on Weibo and users are unable to share the story in group chats on WeChat.
100,000 people gone. That's how many officially registered disappearances have happened in Mexico since 1964. It's a dark landmark, but the United Nations says the true number is probably much higher, considering so many disappearances go unreported. Many of the missing are victims of organized crime, but the people responsible are rarely punished. Family members left behind say that the Mexican government isn't doing enough to find their loved ones, calling them indifferent when they get reports of missing people. Advocacy groups are calling for action and urging officials to make this a priority. Russia's defense ministry says more Ukrainian soldiers from the steelworks in Mariupol surrendered on Tuesday. But the leader of the Russia-backed separatists says commanders of the Azov regiment are still inside. Kyiv is remaining silent about the surrendered soldiers' fate. In a highly symbolic trial, a Russian soldier pleaded guilty to killing an elderly Ukrainian civilian. NTD's Eddie Aitken has more. Russia said on Wednesday that nearly 1,000 Ukrainian fighters, including 80 wounded, had surrendered from the bunkers and tunnels below the Azov-style steelworks in Mariupol since Monday. The defense ministry said nearly 700 Ukrainian fighters, including members of the Azov regiment, had surrendered in the past 24 hours, including 29 wounded. The leader of the Russian-backed separatist region of Donetsk, Denis Pushilin, said top-ranking Ukrainian commanders have not yet surrendered from the Azov-style steelworks. Pushilin said the fate of the surrendered Ukrainian fighters would be decided by the courts. He was quoted by a local media saying, if it's a Nazi criminal, then it's a tribunal. Kiev was silent about the surrendered soldiers' fate, having spoken of hopes to arrange a prisoner swap. Ukrainian officials described them as national heroes, while Moscow said no such deal was made for fighters called Nazis. Ukrainian presidential advisor Mikhailo Podolyak said there was still hope to get the soldiers freed. Regarding a war prisoners exchange, including the guys, let's talk about this with a certain caution not to ruin the fragile negotiation process. Seize of Mariupol is a rare victory for Russia in a campaign which has otherwise faltered. The Ukrainian presidential advisor said fighters in Mariupol had a very important role in the community's defense operation. Because Mariupol drew in the Russian Federation's forces for 82 days, the operation to seize the east and the south of Ukraine was held up, as well as the possibility of establishing their land corridor to Crimea. It changed the course of the war. A Russian soldier accused of war crimes in Ukraine pleaded guilty on Wednesday to killing an elderly unarmed civilian in a northeast Ukrainian village on February the 28th. Vadim Shishimarin, a 21-year-old Russian tank commander, entered his plea in a Kiev district court hearing, its first war crimes trial. If convicted, he faces up to life imprisonment. This trial has huge symbolic importance for Kiev. Russia has denied targeting civilians or involvement in war crimes and accused Kiev of staging them to smear its forces. Asked about the trial, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Russia didn't receive any information about the trial and their ability to provide assistance was limited because of the absence of a Russian diplomatic mission. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. Coming up, six items of significance to Michael Jordan's career are up for auction. These include a highly collectible basketball card and five pairs of sneakers. And we'll show you the adorable footage of two Wallaby sisters caring for each other's joeys. Zookeepers say it's rare for Wallabies to foster a baby that's not their own, let alone one that's a different color. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Christie's is selling the personal effects of basketball legend Michael Jordan, including five pairs of sneakers and a rare basketball card. Let's take a look. In Manhattan, Christie's Kaylin Donovan display one of the five so pairs of sneakers up for five. bid. This pair being one of the earliest pairs of Jordans in this condition, original Jordans, that are on existence in the market. So in 1985, when this whole Michael Jordan, Jordan journey began, uh, this was the first pair, this was the Jordan ones, you know, this is where it all began. So this is kind of like the father of the sneaker collecting world and, and community. Um, this pair being in perfect condition and being an original pair. 
Among them, two pairs have been signed by Jordan, including these black Air Jordans. Jordan himself wore them during the 1998 NBA Finals against the Utah Jazz. The oldest pair is a pair from the beginning of his professional career in the mid-1980s. That was also when Jordan and his icon began to revolutionize the sneaker market. And so he really was the godfather, the father of the secondary sneaker market, which I think is really amazing. Um, and then furthermore, I think his legacy has really transcended in the 90s, whether it be in television, pop culture. And so we see these items, especially items that are signed and worn by him, to be highly collectible. Leading the sale is a signed Upper Deck Fleer card from 1986, the first basketball card to be sold at Christie's. Donovan called it the unicorn of the card collecting community. This card alone could potentially sell for two to three million dollars. Donovan also noted that interest in Jordan took off during the pandemic. That's when ESPN aired The Last Dance, a documentary about the Bulls' last championship run. And I think that during that time when we were all stuck indoors and feeling kind of, you know, not so optimistic, we saw this person who really led a team to something that was almost inconceivable, you know, six national championships. And so I really think everyone kind of re it reinvigorated everyone's love for Michael Jordan. And so I think we've seen the items that we're selling kind of follow that lead. The auction is titled Six Rings, Legacy of the Goat. And the number of six isn't a coincidence. It refers to the six NBA titles Jordan led his Chicago Bulls to in the 1990s. Red-necked wallaby sisters are caring for each other's babies in a Czech Republic zoo. The sisters are different colors. One is white and the other is dark brown. Zookeepers are excited because they say it's rare to see wallabies fostering different colored offspring. Let's take a look. Visitors at the Destin Zoo watched as these wallaby sisters munched on leaves with their offspring close by. The zoo said it was somewhat of a rarity that their different colored joeys were on various occasions fostered by their respective aunts. We were lucky this year getting an albino baby of the albino mother. We noticed something of a rarity when the mother with the classically colored baby somewhat adopted the albino baby inviting him into her own pouch and letting him drink milk. And it also works the other way when her baby is visiting the albino mother. We have been breeding the red-necked wallabies here for 30 years, but never before has anyone experienced the mother taking care of a foreign baby in her own pouch. Native to Tasmania and eastern Australia, the red-necked wallabies belong to the marsupial class of mammals. Although albino wallabies are not rare, they would struggle to survive in the wild due to their sensitive skin and eyes, but are expected to thrive in a contained environment such as the zoo. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.